It's All Relative with Susan Bradley, an original podcast series from News Talk. Welcome to It's All Relative. Today, my guest is a sibling who is part of a sports crazy family. When I contacted her first, I thought I was going to be talking about her brothers. But in fact, this is all about her. She has achieved a phenomenal 156 caps for Ireland in hockey over a nine-year period. Her little brothers, Niall and Kevin, just happened to play cricket for Ireland. I'm delighted today to be talking to Kira O'Brien, a sports legend in her own right. Growing up in Sandy Mount, she was the only girl of five brothers. I'm looking forward to hearing all about the personalities with six kids in the mix. Growing up in Dublin, with sport being part of the forefront of the O'Brien household, Kira took up hockey at as a young child. She played with Railway Union and then on for her country. She's been part of Irish squads for 15 consecutive years, starting out on the Irish under-16s against the Dutch in 94, before representing Ireland under 18, 20 and senior level. She earned her first cap under coach Reid Cooper against England in 2001 and then went on to be a regular name in defence on the team sheet. Two years later, she earned her first of many milestones, lining up against France to earn her 50th cap. Her 100th cap came against Italy in 2006 and 150th against Korea in 2008. And I guess I need to talk a tiny bit about Kevin too. Kevin is an Irish cricketer who plays for Ireland, Leinster and Railway Union and has played for several English county cricket clubs. He announced his retirement from the 50 over format in June 2021. He scored the fastest century ever in a 50 over World Cup coming from 50 balls against England in March 2011. He was one of the 11 cricketers to play in Ireland's first ever test match against Pakistan in May 2018, scoring the first test century for Ireland's men's cricket and becoming the first sportsman in Ireland to represent his country 300 times. And that's just the two out of the six siblings. So today really is a chat about sport, about the highs and lows and a little bit of insight into what makes people tick. What was it like growing up in the O'Brien household? Kira, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for, for coming in. So let's start at the beginning. Um, let's, let's set a scene for us, if you would, growing up in the O'Brien household. So we've got mum and dad, Brendan and Camilla. Yep, that's right. So you've got five brothers. Yep, slap right. bang in the middle of them. Who have we got? We have, uh, so my eldest brother is Paul. Uh, then we've got Jer. followed him 11 months after. Eleven Connor. Months. Yeah, <laughs> mum was busy. Um, we have Connor, then myself and Niall and Kevin are my younger two brothers. Okay, right. So, only girl, five brothers. Everybody, I'm sure, has asked you, what was it like growing up with them? It's all you know. Can you give us a kind of, I suppose, a snapshot of what it was like being the only girl? Do you know, there were times when I was growing up that I really wished I'd had a sister. I think just to have somebody maybe to play Barbies with or, mm-hmm. you know, play something other than kicking a ball in the garden or having a cricket bat or a hockey stick in hand. But actually, looking back, it was just the best childhood. Mm. Uh, we're very, very close as a family and spent all our time either in the front garden or back garden at home or in our second home, which was Railway Union Sports Club. Mm. Look, we were lucky enough to grow up about a five minute walk from there. So uh, my husband actually calls it the third parent <laughs> because it was literally where we spent all of our youth. Actually, I my husband, Malachi, has a huge affinity with Clontarf Rugby Club. And I say there's actually three of us in the, in our marriage. So Yeah, it's pretty similar. <laughs> I hear you. What kind of personalities were you growing up? 
Yeah, I suppose uh, Paul would be a good few years older than me. I probably shouldn't say that. Um, I love you for that. Yeah, he will. Um, I suppose Paul and Jer were academic, yeah, quite studious. Uh, Connor was probably was probably one of the quieter ones amongst was the he, board, yeah. uh, and then myself, Niall, and Kevin. I suppose we came along a little bit later on. Um, I'm sure Niall will have no problem with me saying he was probably the most hot-headed was he, yeah? of all of us. Uh, he's an Evertonian fanatic, so there were often times when we'd be down in railway on a Saturday evening checking the football results <laughs> uh, and knowing whether it was safe to go home or not, depending on um, how Everton had done that day. Um, and then Kevin, sure, Kevin's the baby, so he's the apple of everybody's eye. Oh, don't talk to me about it. I hear you. Brian's the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose speaking of Everton, did that mean that everybody followed the same football team or not? Oh, no. So that led to uh, <laughs> the reason for us all to follow different football teams, really, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose Paul is probably more now into the American sports, like the NFL and that. Um, but he, w- he would have been a, a Spurs fan. I followed suit and liked Spurs. My younger brother, Kevin, also. Jer uh, was a Liverpool fan or still is a Liverpool fan. And Connor. Uh, a bit left field, he likes Barcelona. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You, it strikes me then, you've all very much got your distinct personalities and I suppose you all just kind of slotted in, in, in childhood with your folks. Sport was a huge part of your childhood, wasn't it? Did your, was your, were your parents sporty? Dad was incredibly sporty. So dad played cricket for Ireland. Did he? Right. Yeah, so he played 52 times for Ireland over a career spanning a number of years. Um, probably in today's terms that would have been a couple of hundred caps because in yeah. those days they probably only played four or five games every year. Um, so he played, as I said, he played uh, cricket for Ireland. He played football actually as an amateur uh, for Shelburne. Um, mm. And then he was, a, he was a hockey player as well. So actually on your dad's family side, how did that come about? Was he just obviously naturally gifted and his parents, your grandparents, encouraged that? Or did his other siblings also... You know, were they incredibly sporty too? No, I think dad, dad's the youngest in his family and he was originally born in Galway and then they moved up to Bray and then moved to Sandy Mount when he was he was quite young. And I think he just happened to stroll down the road, down Park Avenue one day in Sandy Mount, turned left up this <laughs> inconspicuous lane wondering where it led to um, and stumbled upon Railway Union. And I think that was just the making wow. of his childhood. Really, yeah? Yeah. And then, so obviously it, it's it's passed on to you guys. So as soon as Ger Paul arrived and then Ger Connor and so on, you were all naturally going to be encouraged to play at Railway, were you? I don't even think we had a choice, to be honest, Susan. <laughs> I, I, encouraged is, uh, sounds like we might have been able to make a decision about it. Listen, it's, it's as I said earlier, it's it's kind of our our third parent, the mm. second home for all of us. Um, we spent many a, a day and evening down there running around. And actually, Railway is a lovely club because there's so many families yeah. that have, have grown up there. So a lot of our friends would be uh, children of my parents' friends. Sure, yeah. And there's just a lovely familiarity about it and a lovely safetyness, I suppose, and about com- it. And community as well, yeah. being from Sandy Mount. It's, it's, whenever I'm there, it feels like a gorgeous, comforting place to be. Yeah. I'd uh, say it was a great place to grow up. It was. And, you know, I suppose Sandy Mount, is, it's funny in some ways because there's so many sports clubs in a very, very close vicinity. Mm. I mean, if you look at cricket, we have YM, Merion, Pembroke and ourselves all within you know, probably a kilometre radius of each other. On the hockey side of it, you've Pembroke as well, down off Serpentine Avenue. There's obviously the rugby clubs. Um, so it just seems to be a real hive of sporting activity, mm. uh, which also leads to rivalries naturally. But, <laughs> you know, it, it was a great place to grow up.
And I alluded to it in the introduction today about your phenomenal hockey career. Let's talk about that. So where did hockey come into it? Uh, well, I would have started in railway, yeah. you know, probably at the age of four or five with a hockey stick in hand. Um, now, in those days, uh, we, we would have started on grass pitches. <laughs> and I remember going down every Sunday morning, you know, and obviously hockey is over the winter months. So you could have some good days and you could have mm-hmm. some absolutely abysmal weather conditions. And the grass was naturally a bit bobbly. And I remember standing on the pitch at left wing. You might wait one hour for a ball to come out your way. You put your stick down to stop it. It bounces over and it's time to go home. And I remember kind of thinking, why am, on earth am I going down here? Like, why are mum and dad persisting in sending me down here every Sunday morning without fail? Um, but listen, I, I suppose I grew to love it. I, I grew up playing through the kind of underage teams in railway. I went to Muckras then in secondary school, which... You know, it was a good hockey school as yeah. well. Um, and you'd obviously a great coach there, did you? We did, yeah. We had good, we'd good coaches. But I think as well, I had some very, very good coaches down in, in Railway Union. Yeah. Like two in particular were Finton Butler and Una McCarthy. And they kind of steered me through, I suppose, the Leinster under 16s, under 18s, under 21 ranks. Mm. Um, I played for a little bit in UCD, probably around the same time as, as, as Brian was there. Mm. Um, and had a great coach there, Ger Butler. And I think I just went from strength to strength. Jer is Vinton's son, isn't she? That's right, yeah. Vinton was um, taught us in Manor House. That's right, yeah. In Rohini, because my cousin is Carol Devine, who has over 100 caps for Ireland. You, did you, I played, yeah. You I played did. with Carol, uh, with Carol in Railway and also, I think, on one of the Leinster squads. Right, OK. Um, and Vinton's other son, Owen, also played hockey in Railway. So he would have played with all my brothers. Jer would have played with my brothers too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, it's just, I suppose, that's Irish sporting communities, isn't it? It's all based on families. Yeah, uh, yeah. The same names crop up all over the place. Oh, absolutely. I'm always interested to find out in these series about, I suppose, what makes people tick. Was there a time, Kira, that something just clicked with you about your drive to get to the under 16s, for example, the, the under 18s, the under 21s? Or was it just a gradual a series of achievements. Oh no! Listen, sports like life. There's ups and downs all the time, isn't it? And and often it's the the setbacks yeah. that actually give you that kind of kick up the backside and 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 really give you that drive as to what it is you want to achieve. Like I remember when I was probably under fifteen and I was going for Leinster under sixteen trials, and I didn't make it that year, and I was absolutely gutted. And I yeah. suppose I'd been playing in school where I would have been one of the stronger players, and I was playing probably ladies hockey on the first team in railway at that point. So I knew I had potential and maybe this was the first time really that I'd had to kind of take a step back and go, maybe I'm not as good as I thought or, Mm. you know, maybe I do need to work a little bit harder. So that was definitely one of the first kind of lessons, I suppose, is that, you know, yes, there are disappointments and there are knockbacks, but it's actually how you come back from those and how you use them to your advantage to say, well, next year. I'm going to be a bit stronger, I'm going to be a bit quicker, whatever it might be, to make sure that I'm one of the first names on the list. Um, so that would definitely have been, I suppose, the, f- the first kind of push for me. Yeah. Uh, and then I always would have played cricket. Like, as I said, we, we were kind of a, a hockey and cricket household. So winter months was typically hockey and, and cricket then took over for the summer. And I got to the point where I was about 18 years old. I'd been playing Irish cricket at under 19s, under 23s level. And there was a World Cup coming up in India. And I remember Miriam Greeley at the time kind of saying to me, she was captain. She kind of said to me, you know, if if you are available, there's every chance that you'll be picked to go to this Cricket World Cup in India. You know, as an 18-year-old, you're kind of sitting there going, wow, that's, that's mm. pretty cool. 
but on the flip side, I was thinking, well, if I if I go to that, then it means I'm going to miss the under 21 hockey interpros. And at, at that stage, you know, the interprovincial championships were really the springboard then to get picked for Irish trials and Irish squads. So I was weighing up really at that stage, am I going to choose cricket or actually is, is my love really for hockey? And I, I think that's when I really had Make was a decision. Forced. I was forced kind of to choose my sport. Yeah. Um, I suppose I was lucky enough for so long to be able to play both because nowadays the girls, the sports are kind of 12 months of the year round. So you can't really combine the two. So I think that was for me then the kind of aha moment. Like right. it's hockey actually that I really want to go after. Okay. Wow. You strike me as being quite similar to Brian in the sense um, I am totally comparing you to him <laughs> with so many sports because you're obviously naturally gifted with a ball, regardless of the size of it, right? Um, you say you've made a decision. Did you have any other, I suppose, moments where you thought, I really, really want to pursue this sport professionally, even though it's not an actual professional sport, but that way, did you really kind of say, I want to see how far I can go? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, we were amateur at the time. Um, like, we got a bit of lottery and sports funding, Um you know, there there are times when you'd go to qualification tournaments and you'd be comparing yourselves to teams that, you know, were part funded or yeah. were able to train the luxury of training maybe for three or six months of the year full time together as a squad. And, you know, we tried to get to I, I went to the Olympic qualifiers for Athens for 2004 and we didn't make it. And we were all really, really disappointed mm. at the time. But I think actually even more disheartening was when we went to Vancouver for the Olympic qualifiers for 2008 and we were probably the second ranked team there um, and that was a real disappointment that we didn't make the final for that for that um, qualification tournament. So as I said, there's always going to be good days and bad days. Setbacks, yeah. yeah. Did you ever feel um, hard done by, by the lack of funding that went into hockey? Yes and no. I mean, we were fortunate enough as a, a senior ladies squad at the time that our world ranking was higher than the men's. So actually, we probably got more of the funding for, okay. a, for a good number of years due to our world ranking and the fact that we had made it to maybe some of the other tournaments or the A divisions that the men at that time hadn't. Um, but, it, but it is hard when you're there looking at other countries. And, and you know that, you know, player for player, skill-wise you're just as good. Sure. Uh, and it's only really maybe the facilities or the opportunities to train more together or to play in more tournaments or to go in more training camps. And I suppose hockey, when I was playing, you know, 10, 12 years ago, was still a relatively minority sport. Um, now, obviously, what the, the girls in particular have achieved over the last couple of years has really put it on the map. Sure, yeah. Um, and all of the credits that go with that are well and truly deserved. It's sometimes slightly you look back thinking, were we not very good, you know, 12 <laughs> years ago or 15 years ago? Or like, are these players just so much better? Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, you have to commend the sports councils and, and the government for really kind of trying to pump money into not just hockey, it's all women's sport. Sure. And it's kind of long overdue, if we're being honest. I completely agree. I, I I just remember my cousin Carol when she was playing on international level and, you know, trying to get funding for um, uniforms and for, for gear. And I thought, you know, as Brian was playing and it became professional sport, it just, it seems so unfair. But yeah. it is, thankfully, the tide is turning, finally. Yeah. Let's go back just very quickly to your, um, your, your other siblings. The fact that 
Kevin and Niall were doing phenomenally well in cricket. How did, first of all, your parents juggle the, the, the whole lot of you? And second of all, in terms of you, did you miss out on going to a number of big sporting events that your brothers were in because you were playing your own hockey? Uh, I think as they kind of progressed more and more through the senior cricket ranks, I was probably coming towards the end of my career. Uh, like I remember 2007 in the World Cup in the West Indies and uh, we had a summer off. We'd just finished a tournament and I said, right, we're definitely going to the West Indies. I'd never <laughs> been to the West Indies. I'd always wanted to go. They're cricket mad. I said, we're definitely going. And for me, like we still we still laugh and joke about the times that we had there because it was Ireland's first time going to a World Cup. They were complete underdogs. Nobody expected them to do as anything. Well. Yeah. Uh, and they actually went out in their first game. They tied with Zimbabwe. They went out on Paddy's Day. Like we'll always remember Paddy's Day in 2007. There we are in Sabina Park in, in Jamaica, cheering them on, beating Pakistan. Um, and Niall actually was player of the match that day. And, you know, it, it's stuff like that, that, you know, long after they've stopped playing, I've stopped playing my sport. It's all of these memories that yeah. you, you kind of cherish. Uh, like mum and dad, to be fair, Try, tried to come and watch all of us as much as they could. Um, like Dad was a civil servant, so he retired in 2002. And actually, as part of his kind of retirement present to himself, I suppose, they came out to Australia. We were playing the Hockey World Cup out yeah. there and they spent a month month or so out in Australia. Uh, but they, they're, they're avid supporters of, of all of us as children growing up, but now actually as well following their grandchildren. Yeah. Um, you know, they're... they're going to watch them playing, whether it's even just for railway or it's Leinster or it's school matches. So they love being involved. Similarly, we would look back and remember World Cups or Lions tours where just being together as a family, enjoying the highs and the lows. I suppose it is important to, to focus on the lows, particularly in your own career and and the boys. Can you give us a couple of examples maybe of, of something, you know, negative, be it an injury, um, and not referring to you when, when you retired, which we'll come to, that how you got over that. Because I find we always focus on the great things. Mm. And I think one of the things that has become really apparent in this podcast is people listening to the families when things haven't gone well, that nobody sees or hears about, and mm. it's behind closed doors. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's always difficult when a career is coming to an end, maybe. Like, and I remember when Niall, say, was was finishing up with county cricket in the UK. So Niall, as a child, had told us all that he was going to be a professional footballer. Right. Niall was, was a little on the short side growing up. He, he kind of had a great spurt later on. But we all kind of thought, Niall, you're never going to be a professional footballer. Yeah, you, you can score goals and you're, you're pretty uh, dogmatic, but really and he used to go out to Sydney in the winters in the off season to go and play cricket uh, and then fair play to him he became a professional cricketer and he, he learned his graft through Kent first of all in England uh, and then he spent spell he spent time with both uh, Leicestershire and Northants and uh, I remember as, as his kind of international and, and even his county career was coming to an end I really felt for him because first of all he was in the UK. Mm. Now, at that time, I was probably still living in the UK at that time, but everybody else was home. And you know what it's like when you're away and you just want somebody to put their arm around you and go, listen, chin up, you're amazing. What you yeah. achieved is fantastic. Um, like, so, you know, I would probably have some sympathy or empathy with him because I suppose when I retired, 
I wasn't really ready to either, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think then as well, it shows you the power of not just families coming together, you know, and friends rallying around. And I think that's one of the, the really lovely things about, I don't know whether it's an Irish thing, but but families really do stick together through thick and thin. And, you know, even if it's just to reach out with a phone call to go, hope all's OK or, you know, how are you getting on? Uh, and, and, you know, he's gone from strength to strength now. He's he's flying it as a sports agent, mm. which he's he's great at. He's the gift of the gab. And He's uh, over in the UK. He's in the UK and he's doing a lot of media work. So, yeah. you know, he's kind of landed on his feet. But, you know, there were there were tough times there. And he um, grafted his way to where he is now. In the in the in the kind of in the golden days, and Kevin still very much is 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 doing his phenomenal thing. How like you must have got um, recognised, say, like in the West Indies, in the cricket family, in the cricket scene. Did you find that weird how people kind of responded to you when you're when the name O'Brien, say, for example, was mentioned? Yeah, it's funny. Like one memory that, again, will always stay with me is in 2011 when they were playing England in the World Cup in India. I was working in the UK at the time. So I was sitting in my office in London uh, working away. I was working with CBRE and I had my my computer screen in front of me and I had the little Crick Info, you know, the (laughs) the desktop scorecard kind of in the bottom left of my screen, kind of keeping an eye and thinking, oh, it's not really going our way. And Kevin came in and started doing well. And then suddenly the momentum in that game kind of shifted a little bit. And I suddenly started thinking, jeepers, they might be about to do something here. And I remember I got a tap on the shoulder from one of the senior directors in the department. And I thought, "Uh oh, I'm a a goner. Uh, And he said, what are you doing sitting at your desk? He's like, the cricket's on in the coffee bar downstairs. Go and watch it. And so I went downstairs and was surrounded by, you know, English supporters. Yeah. And then he obviously went on to score his 100th, the fastest 100th in in World Cup history. And they ended up winning the match and, you know, the jubilation. But there I was in amongst a whole crowd of English supporters. But like the the camaraderie that I felt just by people coming up and going, oh, my God, that was amazing. Oh, your brother did so well. You take so much pride out of it. Um, And it really kind of puts a spring in your step for them. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's nice. Like, uh, and again, if you speak to... You know, the Asian community are obviously cricket mad. And the minute if you were to happen to mention your name is O'Brien, they're trying to figure out like whether <laughs> Which, there's yeah whether there's a, a family connection there or not. Yeah, I, I can completely identify. I was in Australia in 2000 when Brian scored the three tries in Parc de Prince in, in Paris. And like that, the adulation and the camaraderie and it absolutely did give me a spring on my step afterwards. It was, It's just, it's so... Bizarre in a way, and you just have massive pride. But it's the joy that it gives everybody else. Yeah, it that's you feel. I don't know. Like uh, we we have that in common where you kind of can't really explain it. It you, you kind of feel it's also it. like I think it's the power of sport, isn't it? That at the end of the day, you know, everybody is there. They're watching a match. You're rooting for your own team, obviously. Mm. But if you see somebody do something absolutely incredible, even if it is for the opposition. I think that is one of the, the things that we all love about sport yeah. is that you can acknowledge, wow, that mm. was just some achievement. I would have preferred you were doing it for my team, but like, <laughs> listen, well done. Mm. Um, like, it's one of the things, I suppose, that, that keeps us all playing and keeps us all involved. You mentioned, obviously, you were in the UK. How long were you over there? Living I was there? Uh, nearly 13 years. Wow, OK. How did you juggle the, the career 
and you know your your your, your hockey career. How 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 did it work? Yeah, like I I kind of fell into I'm, I'm a surveyor, so I kind of fell into property totally by accident. Uh, I went to UCD as I said when I finished school and studied social science. Thought I wanted to be a social worker. Then I pottered about for a year and worked in different bits and pieces because we were playing tournaments and training. Went back and did a master's in European studies. Still didn't really know what I wanted to do, but it gave me another year at college <laughs> and another year to play in things like varsities and colours. Mm. Um, and then I ended up kind of falling into property, went over to the UK. I'd never lived away from home, so I grew up in Sandy Mount, went to school in Donnybrook, went to UCD. I'd never really flown the nest. And right. I, sa- I remember saying to mum and dad at the time, I'll go for a year. And we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes. Uh, like it was hard because I'm the only girl so I'm incredibly close to mum and dad and uh, as I said 13 years later but as I was there I was still travelling back to train and play for Ireland nearly every weekend um, when I wasn't coming back here to train and play I was playing for Chelmsford in the National League over there now I was living in Clapham so for me to go for even for a home game from Clapham out to Chelmsford it was probably a two hour drive oh God, one right. way but you had to play kind of at National League level yeah. You know, it was the best standard you could play at. But you were travelling the length and breadth of, of England really to do it. Um, and then just to throw something else into the mix, because I was going into property and I didn't have a property related degree. Don't tell me you I had were to do a master's. Nice. Yeah, I had to do a master's part time. So, um, Where did you find the time? Oh yeah, I have, and now I look back and I'm like, <laughs> how on earth? So I used to do, uh, it was kind of modular based in Kingston University. So every six to eight weeks you'd be on site for maybe three or four days at lectures and doing your coursework and then juggling that with working full time and trying to train and play. And surely your employers, I'm sure, were sympathetic to... Yeah. Ah, they were great. Were they? Like, as yeah. I said, at that time I was with CBRE um, and they were incredibly supportive. Yeah. Uh, you know, I suppose from their side as well, it's it's nice for them to be able to say we're supporting an international athlete trying to get to an Olympics. Sure. Uh, and it, it wasn't easy, but, you know, it took two years to do the Masters And then to do my professional qualifications was probably another six or nine months after that. So it was a hard slog for a couple of years. Mm. What made you decide to come back home? I think the quality of life. I have two young girls, so Jessica's six and Chloe will be nine later on this summer. Uh, Born over there. Both born over there, married to an Englishman who loves Ireland. Phew. (laughs) Yeah, well, he would tell you that he pulled me out of London, that I was probably, yeah, I probably would have been happy to stay for... Another couple of years, you know, I was work. I was working. I was doing well. Career was progressing, but like the UK, I was working in central London, but living out near Gatwick. So we were traveling. We were both traveling nearly three hours a day, just to go to and from work, paying an extortion amount of money for the benefit of doing so, and we never saw the kids. Yeah. So you come home, then you're wrecked, and then at weekends you're trying to fit everything in because you're feeling guilty that you haven't been around all week, and I don't know what it was that was just one day and we just said you know what let's let's do it we'd been talking about it for quite a while mm. now in hindsight we moved back at the end of 2017 now with the benefit of hindsight and covid like thank god we were yeah. here because you know i'm around the corner from mum and dad i'm 400 meters from from where i grew up uh so you know when when things were locked down and you had to go into your little bubbles we were able to form a bubble with mum and dad which meant that they saw people yeah family members every day because we'd go around with the girls we'd sit in the garden whatever it was um, but yeah the quality of life is, is much nicer here the pace of life is slower mm. uh, and there's more there's more to do I can't remember at the time in Rygate speaking to people about trying to get Chloe into hockey and cricket she would have been four at the time 
and they say to me, oh, well, have you her name on a waiting list? Oh my God. And I was kind of thinking, She's four. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean a waiting list? You know, it's sport. Surely we should be doing everything to get as many children involved in sport at the time. So I remember thinking, this is bizarre. Like, this is just ridiculous. Come on, we're going. And I said, <laughs> yeah. I said, what about if I coach? Like, with that? Oh, no, you have to be on the list. So we moved back in December 2017. And I'd say the first week in January, off we were down that inconspicuous <laughs> lane on Park Avenue with our hockey stick in hand saying, yeah. right, we're yeah. off. And, and so you they're now, look back. No, they're reliving the childhood we had growing up. Did they have little accents when they came home? Yeah. Well, they, Jess was only about 18 months, so probably right. not so much. Um, but Chloe, Chloe yeah, did. definitely. Do you have a Paddy accent now? She's getting there. <laughs> She's getting there. Uh, it's funny, we were back in the UK at Easter time seeing some friends. We were over in Cornwall and, you know, they really noticed a big difference in really? my accent. Really? Yeah. And also in the girls. I suppose they hadn't seen them for maybe two, two and a half years. Yeah. So now, fast forward to current day, you working? Working, yeah. Working so, away? Yeah, so I work with a company called Bagnell Doyle McMahon, so just over on Dawson Street, um, still in surveying. surveying. Yeah, 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 so commercial property. Uh, love it. I've been there now a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Are you still playing on the side? No, my knees um, would give out to me if I tried to play hockey, so I'm very involved in the coaching down in railway on, on the hockey front. And uh, I got cornered probably about six months after we moved back in the bar on a Saturday evening down there, we're thinking of restarting the ladies' cricket team. <laughs> Would you play? And I kind of said, I haven't played. I st- all, the, all the excuses started kind of formulating in my head, saying, I haven't played for a long time. My knees aren't great. I'm working full time. The girls are young. Like, it was just one thing after the other. And then, I said, but listen... <laughs> We give it, if, we'll see. Let me let me come back to I you. I said, I can't commit. No, I didn't even do that, Susan. I Did was you? like, I can't commit every week to training and matches. But you listen, when I'm around, I'll play. About a month later, same scenario. <laughs> exactly right. In the bar. You know you said you'd be you'd play. Well, you're the only one who knows the rules. So would you be captain? So I kind of thought, well, listen. Yes, I will. I'll do all the on-field stuff, but I'm not doing any of the admin kind of WhatsApp groups and all of that, that jazz. So now we're back playing, like we would have had a very strong ladies cricket team back in the day, like when we were teenagers and and coming through the ranks and it kind of fell by the wayside. So we're back now, we're playing in Division 3. We're a motley crew of people who had never played cricket before, people who had played and hadn't played for a long time. We've roped in some of the rugby girls to play, pulling people off the tennis courts to play. And really, uh, the, the kind of rationale for it is come out, have a hit, have a run around. We'll sit and have a drink. How's your day? How are things mm. going? And, you know, it, it's just a nice kind of little community. Yeah. But um, at the same time, you're the whiz kid probably on the team. Like, it was ah, kind of like my cousins. Do you know, like when she was bowling, it was like, whoa. Whereas we're all saying, so what are you doing for the weekend? And then Carol comes on and she's just phenomenal, like yeah. Jim Warren, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, you're, you're playing it, you're enjoying playing cricket. it. Yeah, like, I mean, cricket's a lot less uh, taxing than, yeah. than hockey. Because it, it, it's so important to mention, obviously you retired in 2009 because of, uh, was it your knees that? Yeah, so I, I've arthritis effectively in both of my knees. Um, I was really lucky, like all the way through, I made my, my senior debut in 2001. And up until that point in 2009, I'd never really been injured. I'd never really missed a match due to injury. And 
something just flared up in, in one of my knees over in the UK. And I remember going to see a consultant in the Lister Hospital um, down in Chelsea. And he kind of looked at me and he said, mm, yeah, it's, it's not great. Now you've got kind of bone on bone, which is why it's swelling and it's painful and all the rest of it. And he said, we can give you a couple of cortisone injections and see how you go. Uh, and then I'd say within the period of about two months, the other knee flared up in the exact same way. So I was back in again to see him and he said, listen, if you were 21, starting out in your international career, you could look at maybe having an operation. But How old are you at this stage? Uh, 2009, so I would have been just coming up to 30. Right. And he said, but listen, you're probably nearing the end of your career. If you, if you have an operation, you're looking at it probably a year of rehab and coming mm. back from that. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, I, I took it really badly, if I'm being really honest, mm. because I didn't get to go out on my terms. Mm. We were training for Europeans that year. That was, I think it was going to be in Germany. Uh, and I'd never played like a proper tournament over there. Like Germany and Holland would be the kind of European hotbeds of, of hockey. Um, and again, I was kind of remote. I was over in London. Yeah. Being told effectively your knees aren't going to be up to it. Mm. Um, but I did also think, listen, I've had eight years of my body never complaining of being put through the mill with training and playing. So maybe this is actually my body's telling me, just stop, like just give it up. Um, but it was really hard at the time because it, it, I kind of retired. It was probably, you know, early summer. So but from the time that your doctor told you that, what was the time lapse until you actually put down the hockey stick? Uh, probably only a couple of months, like really? probably two or three months. Because it's quick, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I was really angry. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I was really angry at the time because I was just, I was fed up. I just finished and uh, I'd finished my master's. I had just passed my professional exams. So, you know, for for all those things that I was trying to juggle for so long, you know, two of those big obstacles had now cleared. Yeah. And I could kind of go back to mm. obviously working full time, but trying to focus all of my efforts on hockey. And then hockey was taken away from me. Um, and, and also I found it really hard that people associated you with being Kira the hockey player. And I, I've recently just completed a, a leadership course that Cricket Ireland ran called On the Front Foot. And it, it was particularly aimed at women in, in sport and leadership and it was the first time, I would say, in about 10 years that actually it gave me a bit of headspace to kind of think, well, why was I why was I so angry? And actually, why did I think that people just saw me as Kira, the hockey player? Mm. Because it was just one small element of, of who I was and what made me me, I suppose. Um, At least you weren't Kevin's sister or Niall's sister, Kira. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Welcome well, to my world. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that sometimes too, though. <laughs> Depends what sport we're talking yeah. about. But going back to you, and in all seriousness, did you kind of come to any conclusion on that? Because given that it was just one part of your identity. I'd say it did take me, it did take me, I'd say, a good long, long time to process and actually just think, OK, I can't do this anymore. So now where am I going to focus my drive because I'm I'm not one to sit still like I always have to be on the go and, and what's the next thing uh, so I suppose I threw myself probably into my career yeah um, maybe that was one way of kind of taking my mind off it uh, and then I suppose we got married in 2010 and I suppose that set off then a whole other yeah new adventure yeah yeah you're 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 probably quite hard on yourself are you I think so yeah me too, me too. I think as well like growing up in a, in a family of six like I was only saying this recently to somebody that, 
you know, there'd be games in the garden, 3v3 in the garden, be like, oh, you've got Kira. Like, you're, you're almost the last to be picked. But because of that, you always want to be better than the boys. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, I, I, mum and dad certainly never pushed us or, you know, weren't, well, the dad now does like to comment on the ladies' cricket team from time to time as he sits in his chair on the sideline. Um, Having a G&T. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think it's it's just growing up in that kind of competitive environment where we were all sporty. You know, we were all reasonably good at school. Yeah. Um, that You always wanted to be better than everybody else. Yeah. Just the... the, the inbred kind of competitiveness that yeah. is in your DNA. Looking at sport now, Kira, particularly hockey, do you view it differently? Do you sit on kind of the edge of your seat? You can obviously see things that the normal, regular spectator cannot. How is it for you? Yeah, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed the last couple of years. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the ladies team have just gone from strength to strength. I think looking back after retiring, I probably found it really hard to watch you know, I remember watching when they were, were trying to qualify for London 2012 with real kind of mixed emotions because you were like, yes, I really want them to get there. But then it kind of brought back up all that disappointment and resentment yeah. of my own career. Um, and seeing all the, your colleagues who yeah. were playing and, yeah. and your replacement. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I was at the 2018 World Cup in London. So I'd got tickets for that. And then we'd obviously moved back in between. So myself and mum went over to watch a couple of the Irish games and we had tickets to go to the quarterfinals and the semi-finals. And then obviously they made it through to yeah. the final. So we both made phone calls home that evening saying... <laughs> we're not going yeah, anywhere. You know that flight we were supposed <laughs> to be on? No, we're staying on. Because it was just... You got caught up in the whole emotion and the buzz of it. And you kind of thought, well, when will this happen again? And isn't it amazing to be here watching people like Shirley McKay... Uh, was playing in that squad and I would have played with Shirley. She would have started out with, with us in the squad as a probably 17-year-old, 18-year-old. Mm. So, you know, to see somebody like that who you know has given over a decade to their country and their sport, like it, it filled you with absolute joy. Mm. Uh, and actually, we're going back now to Amsterdam. The World Cup's on this summer. So myself and mum are going again, but we're bringing Chloe and Jess with oh, us this time. Great. So we're starting to indoctrinate them yeah, to the next generation. <laughs> I love it. And cricket for you, obviously, it's it, it has never been part of your professional kind of setup. But watching it, do you get equally as head up when, you know, things are happening on, on you know, in, on the pitch? I think cricket by the nature of the sport is probably, as I said, maybe a little bit slower. Um, but, you know, we were down in Pembroke last weekend. The Irish ladies were playing South Africa in a series of T20 games and Cricket Ireland had arranged for some of the local clubs to be mascots. So, again, I brought over a crew of 20 from Railway uh, for one of the days to be mascots. And, you know, the enjoyment that you get out of seeing their faces walking around with their little flags and lining up to, to welcome the two teams onto the pitch. Um, I certainly enjoy watching it. I probably don't get quite as analytical or as involved in it as maybe I would watching the hockey. Right. And I suppose just to finish up, in the next generation, do you see any of your nieces and nephews potentially showing flair? Yeah, like... Without I, saying names. I, I suppose I can't single any of them out. I mean, <laughs> no, they're all, let's not say they're all equally wonderful. But uh, <laughs> like there, there's 12 grandkids in our family altogether. So obviously I have two and then there's uh, there's 10 dotted around elsewhere. Uh, but, you know, they're they're all down in railway, pretty much. 
plying their trade as we did as kids. Um, so I said, you know, they're just reliving the childhood that we had sure. growing up. What's your married name? Oh, Ryan. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't change my name. Okay, Don't well, mention what, the war. <laughs> I was going to say, what are your children's? Oh, sorry? well, they're Riseborough. Well, let's keep an eye out. And obviously with five brothers, the O'Briens will potentially be going up through the ranks too. Let's hope so. Yeah. Well, look, thanks so much for coming in. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. In season two of the News Talk original podcast series, It's All Relative, join me, Susan Bradley, as I meet siblings of well-known public figures. I went into the bathroom and washed my hands, chatting away to the guy about the match, and he goes, see you later, N-word. And I actually just like pulled him up against the wall. I was like, do you know what that means? Do you know what you just said there? I remember kind of thinking, why are mum and dad persisting in sending me down here every Sunday morning without fail? It's All Relative with Susan Bradley, an original podcast series from News Talk. Available now at newstalk.com and on the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud.